Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Kettle and Fire Bone Broths are one of the products that has a permanent place on my pantry shelf. As you know, I am a big fan of making food from scratch, and I love making food with bone broth as well. Caveat, assuming you can find high-quality grass-fed and finished bones. But if you're like me, you don't always have the time and or foresight to make your own bone broth from scratch. That is why I always have some Kettle and Fire on hand for when I want a quick, delicious, high-quality bone broth. Their broths are always made with organic veggies, herbs, and spices, and they only use grass-fed and finished beef bones and pasture-raised chicken bones. They never use anything artificial, no preservatives, no coloring, no flavorings, no junk ever. That is why I'm happy to be partnering with them for my podcast. They are a company that I can rely on to make high-integrity products. As a listener, you can save 25% off any of their products at kettleandfire.com. Just use code JUSTINGREDIENTS at checkout. That is kettleandfire.com, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com. Dr. Tabitha Barber has devoted her life to giving women a voice and a choice when it comes to their health and well-being. As a young girl, she struggled with self-esteem and identity issues, dealt with peer pressure, and survived the ridicule and stigma of becoming a teenage mother. As she shared in her first published book titled, From White Trash to White Coat, The Birth of Catherine's Purpose, those events led Tabitha to finding her purpose in life. With perseverance and grace, she was able to redirect her path in life and become a successful physician. Dr. Tabitha Barber is triple board certified in OBGYN, menopause, and functional medicine. She has the unique situation of being licensed to practice medicine in over half the country, so you now have the ability to work with a functional physician virtually. She is the host of the Functional Gynecologist podcast, where she shares her wisdom and knowledge with women everywhere to reclaim their health. She is also a keynote speaker, mentor, wife, mom, and grandma. By incorporating functional medicine into her women's health practice, she is able to provide women with the tools they need to optimize their health and happiness, which in turn allows those women to pursue their purpose in life. Today we have Dr. Tabitha with us. I am so excited to have you here today. She is a functional gynecologist, like I said in her bio, and I just have so many questions for you. So thank you for being here today. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to connect with you. I love everything you're doing and we just need to support each other and get this message out there, right? Exactly. I so agree. Well, thank you for being here. First of all, tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background and how you became a functional gynecologist and maybe what a functional gynecologist is and how that differs. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So essentially I coined the term. I made it up because I was trying to figure out what was I doing? You know, I came from the world of conventional medicine. I was a traditional OBGYN for a long time. And I originally got into women's health because of a traumatic 
pregnancy and delivery as a 17 year old, I did not have a voice or a choice in my healthcare. Things were done to me. Things weren't explained to me. It was all very demoralizing. And I realized that I needed to be part of the solution. So, you know, I got my crap together. I went back, I got my GED. I went on to medical school, but the system is so broken that I forgot why I even went into it. I was so busy just trying to survive. You know, I was sleep deprived, eating garbage, just cranking out the patients left and right, because that is what you do in conventional medicine. You kind of just get stuck in this broken system. And it got to the point where I became broken. I couldn't function. I had you know, Hashimoto's that was out of control and a back injury that was getting worse. And I finally had to take a time out for myself. And I found the world of functional medicine, which I knew nothing about. And once your eyes are opened, you can't go back, right? Like, oh my gosh, I can do this with my patients. And I started to a little bit, you know, I talked them into letting me see patients for a longer period of time on a Friday and they were having amazing results. The hospital didn't like it because I was doing less surgery. I was doing less intervention and less, you know, testing and all these things. So they really fought me. And I finally made the brave decision. Like, I just need to leave this world. You know, I need to leave my cush salary job. I need to get rid of my 401k and my health insurance. And just take the leap because that's how much I believe in functional medicine for women to actually heal their GYN issues. So I no longer do any surgery. You know, I rarely even touch my patients yet. We have such more amazing results than I ever had before. So it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And your story, I think is so inspiring that you had a hard time, you know, this hard trial as a teenager, and then you just became a successful doctor and not even that, I mean, to then go on your own and help, you know, go into the functional medicine world. I mean, you just are an inspiration to women that you can you. go through any hard time and make it a positive. So exactly. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that the universe put you here for a reason and not be afraid to do those hard, uncomfortable things that you don't know how it's going to turn out. But I just feel like if you follow your path of what you're supposed to be doing, it always turns out. I love that. Thank you so much. So, okay. I have so many questions from periods to hormonal imbalance to gut. So I'm just going to start asking away. I'm going to yes. first start with periods because I have a teenage daughter and she has all these friends that have to literally leave school when it is that time of the month because they are in so much pain or just bleeding so heavily that they can't even stay in for class. And I'm like, this cannot be right. Is it normal to have this heavy of periods, this huge major cramping, or is something going on? Something is definitely going on. I do not believe that God created us to be miserable two weeks out of every month, you know? Our periods should be there. We should notice them. We should feel a little more tired or a little bit of discomfort or heaviness, but they should not be painful. We should not be missing life for, you know, multiple days on end. They should not be soaking through our clothes and causing accidents. Those are warning signs that things aren't right in your body, you know, and for so long, 
I would just hand out birth control pills and Depo-Provera shots. And what those were doing was actually shutting down your own hormone production. It was kind of overriding your system. You take the synthetic hormones and it gives you a fake period. And so you have this false sense of, oh, everything's fine. I'm fixed. You know, I was just having crazy periods when in fact you didn't fix the underlying issue. So now it's just spread to some other system or area of the body. Or if you try to get off those synthetic hormones, it comes back with a vengeance. You know, acne is a perfect example of that. We give that birth control pill to control the acne for teenagers. And it's not really, it's just masking the symptoms. So honestly, it almost always comes down for teenage girls to not enough sleep, too much stress from, you know, the emotional stuff that they're going through during this change. And then the junk food. So many girls are just consuming excessive amounts of high fructose corn syrup and artificial sweeteners. And that is all just toxic to your gut and your body. And it creates so many hormone imbalances. That's so interesting. So I always tell my daughter, I'm like, you're friends, their bodies can't talk to them. So their bodies are screaming at them, help, help, something is wrong. And so I'm trying to constantly tell her and her friends like, that's not right. That's not normal for these heavy cramps and horrible cramps, things like that. So besides the high fructose corn syrup, the stress, the lack of sleep, is it because they may be lacking in some nutrients as well due to eating all this junk food? Yeah, so it really comes down to their gut health. And chronic stress causes leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability. That can lead to food sensitivities. It leads to malabsorption. So you may even be eating your vegetables, but you might not be absorbing the vitamins and minerals in them. We know that our food source is so depleted. There's like, I don't know, 80% less magnesium in our vegetables than there was 50 years ago. So it all comes down to the gut and the gut. I would love for women to understand that our intestines and our uterus and our ovaries and our fallopian tubes, they all live in the same cavity together. There's no walls, nothing separating them. When I go in as a surgeon into your abdomen, your bowels are literally laying on those organs. And so if you have inflammation in your gut you are going to transfer that inflammation to your ovaries, to your fallopian tubes, to your uterus, and it becomes a very hostile environment. And so that is where the pain is being created from. And the heavy periods is from your body's inflammation process that's trying to handle all of this. And so to me, that's a huge trigger that, hey, we got to take care of your gut and get this inflammation under control because having a period shouldn't be that painful. It's what's going on around those organs that's causing that issue. That's actually really interesting. I've never heard it from a surgeon's perspective like that before. So that actually makes it nice and clear as to what's going on. Yeah. Can I even extend that? Like when you talk about endometriosis, which is an inflammatory driven process that exacerbated by excess estrogen, I go in as a surgeon and I see the bowels are actually stuck or adhered to the ovaries and the uterus and the fallopian tubes. I, I used to spend hours 
carefully dissecting and separating them and trying to get rid of those adhesions and scar tissue that develop from that inflammation. And oftentimes it's enough that it destroys your tubes and causes fertility issues. So I'm not sure why we don't talk about this more in conventional medicine when it's so obvious, just looking at this physical condition of endometriosis. Here it is. You know what I mean? That is so interesting. Do you think we don't talk about it more because doctors don't have time, you know, when the patients come in? I think it's a deeper theological issue in a broken system where we are very much focused on determining a diagnosis and figuring out a treatment plan for it, not why it happened, but how to fix it. We're very much fixers in conventional medicine. So find the pill, find the surgery to fix it, but don't actually ask why did that happen in the first place? Because if you ask that question, that's going to lead you down the inflammation pathway. That's going to lead you down the hormone imbalance pathway. And then you're going to start to question why are those things happening? And then you're going to figure out the root cause of the issue. And you hit the nail on the head. It is a huge time factor. We don't have time to spend with the patients to sit down and figure out what's going on in that person's life and how they got to be at that point that they're at when they come to you. And that's where functional medicine is so amazing. I mean, I spend an hour or more with my first visit on my patients, you know, and really delve into what got you here. Because if we work backwards, we can figure out and kind of undo a lot of that stuff. Right. So tell me the inflammation that you're seeing, what do you think is causing that inflammation? I think it's leaky gut from chronic stress. I mean, it comes back to that number one every time. Any kind of hormonal shift like puberty, pregnancy, menopause can cause leaky gut. Antibiotics are a huge culprit. Pesticides in our food, birth control pills, so many things can cause that. And our gut has an amazing ability to heal. Those cells regenerate every 24 to 48 hours. But if you have a continued insult and it just keeps happening, it is really hard for your body to keep up and protect you. And so your immune system starts to see stuff it never should or would have, and it starts to attack and respond in an effort to protect you. Your immune system's just trying to protect you. It doesn't know that it's not supposed to see broccoli and broccoli is actually healthy and good, but it gets confused, you know? So it's a whole spiral. So for those listening, because leaky gut is a really trendy term out there these days, Explain to my listeners in a basic um, explanation as to what leaky gut is. So the big fancy medical term that conventional doctors will admit is increased intestinal permeability. So we have one cell layer between the food we're digesting and our bloodstream. And in between those cells are little gap junctions. They act like toll booths. They open to let the good stuff in, amino acids, vitamins, and then they close to keep out bacteria, pesticides, all the undigested proteins, but things break those gap junctions. And that is what is called leaky gut. So all the things I mentioned, the stress, the medications, those break those gap junctions temporarily. And if it's enough, stuff will get into your bloodstream and you have about 70% of your immune system lined right there, ready to attack like frontline guy. 
and they will attack and they will start putting antibodies on things so that they can remember that that's a foreign hostile invader and to, you know, it gives them a picture of what's going on. And so you could start reacting to undigested almonds and broccoli and chicken and things you normally wouldn't because they're innocent bystanders. They just got shot in the line of fire because your immune system attacked everything it saw. And now every time you eat that broccoli, your immune system says, oh yeah, we don't like that guy. Let's start that inflammatory process. And then you get stuck in this vicious cycle and it's confusing because you don't feel it for maybe 48 to 72 hours. So by the time you notice something, you forgot what you ate and you think you're eating healthy and doing yourself a favor when really your immune system is just on fire and it's confused. And so I see that a lot in my patients is that they've just had this continuous leaky gut. They've developed food sensitivities. They're not absorbing their vitamin and minerals. And that really pushes them down the hormonal imbalance pathway. That was a great way that you explained it. Thank you so much. Okay. So a lot of women out there are dealing with hormonal imbalances, but do you think that's due to the leaky gut then? There's a few reasons for hormonal imbalance. Gut issues are a huge part of that. So like I mentioned, creating leaky gut, you start to not absorb your vitamins and minerals. You don't get your healthy fats necessarily that you need. They're the backbone of hormone production. Cholesterol is our basic backbone to produce estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So if you're not eating healthy fats, like we saw this in the nineties with the low fat diet craze, everybody went fat free and us poor women, it was misery because you can't make your hormones unless you are eating healthy fats. And so that really did us a disservice. The other main issues are associated with our gut. It's our liver and our gallbladder. So our liver metabolizes our hormones and helps get rid of them once we're done using them. And we very often have a sluggish liver for multiple reasons. And so we're not getting rid of those estrogens and hormones properly. The gallbladder is necessary to transport the estrogen. It you know, stores the bile that the liver made and it transports hormones and fats and things through our blood. But if we have too much estrogen, it can cause a sluggish gallbladder. We can get gallstones. We get our gallbladder removed because conventional surgeons think that's the fix, remove the offending organ, you know, when really that's not the fix, because now you're going to have trouble really absorbing your fats because you don't have bile readily available that's even harder on your liver because now your liver has to pump out bile at a moment's notice as opposed to having a place to store it. And then you add on constipation. This is another huge thing I see in my patients. So they're only having bowel movements a couple times a week. Say your liver did work and you metabolized those excess estrogens, you got them into your stool, but now they're sitting there and you're not evacuating them. There's bacteria in your gut that can create an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. That enzyme will cut the garbage tag off your estrogen. And the longer it sits there, the more you reabsorb. So you thought you were getting rid of those bad excess estrogens. Your body just went and reabsorbed them and put them back in your circulation. So your gut has a ton to do with what's going on in your hormones. That is so fascinating. I have to tell you, I one time did a poll on my 
Instagram and asked people, did you know that your liver actually detoxes your estrogen, like gets rid of your extra estrogen and then you poop it out? It was like 96% to 4% that they had no idea. And so I'm like, wow, we don't even know the basics of our anatomy and what our body does. If we understand our liver has a huge role in our hormone health and our gut has a huge role, maybe we would take better care of them or help them support them out. Yeah, I will tell you, I learned this the first year of medical school a gazillion years ago, but you forget because it's not something that's talked about and reiterated. You really do forget the physiology of the body and you get so hyper-focused on just one little thing. And so it was like, I relearned it and my, you know, conventional colleagues, they've probably forgotten it as well. And so Now we're dealing with fatty liver from poor diets and sedentary lifestyles and, you know, removing our gallbladder and chronic IBS that's not being appropriately dealt with. And women want a quick fix. They're like, just give me hormones and, you know, fix me. And that's not the answer. Okay. So talking about fixing, let's talk about a few things because you can fix, I say that in apostrophes, you can fix your gut, you can heal your gut. So what are your suggestions to your patients for healing the gut? I love doing stool testing and food sensitivity testing. I try to get every new patient to go down that pathway before we even talk about doing anything else, you know, before I even check hormone levels, even, you know, I, I like to do it all together, but I, that's how important it it is to me is getting that stool test. So you can evaluate your microbiome. What the heck is living in your gut and running the show? Because, you know, I heard this statistic once that there's more DNA, bacterial DNA in our whole entire body than human DNA. So we are more bacteria than we are human. That's just crazy to me. They're running the show. We just don't want to admit it because of our egos. You need to know, is yeast overgrowing? Do you have parasites? Do you have the wrong bacteria? What's the function of your gut? Are you making your digestive enzymes? What's your immune system at your gut level doing? Are they reacting to certain things? And do you have active leaky gut? You can measure something called zonulin. It's the protein released when those gap junctions are broken. And so you can get so much information on what do we got to kill off? What do we got to replace? What do we got to support? What do we need to remove? And you can really start to heal that gut and have some impact on those hormone levels and everything else. And so sometimes I only start there and then I do the testing because I know they're going to have a big shift from healing the gut for a few months. So let's say they don't have parasites or a virus and it's just maybe food-based. So what would you suggest to people that are just listening at home? Are there certain foods or supplements they could just begin with? Well, I mean, everybody could do the elimination diet on their own. You know, that's why the book Whole30 was so popular because it's easy to do. You can do it on your own and women usually notice major results. The problem is, The mindset is, oh, once I do this whole 30, I'll go back to my old way of life. And it's not like that. You have to listen to your body and become in tune with what it's trying to tell you. And when you realize you shouldn't have certain foods, sometimes should never go back to them. Gluten and dairy are two of the biggest offenders for 
causing inflammation for other reasons besides just this IgG response that happened from leaky gut. So I tell my patients, when you get your food sensitivity and you're reacting to a ton of stuff, a lot of it will be healthy, good food. And once you calm down that inflammation and the immune system forgets that it's angry, those antibodies will go away and you can almost always reintroduce those foods. Gluten and dairy, they're inflammatory for other reasons. You might never be able to reintroduce those. So that is my caveat because gluten is so pesticide laden, it's so, so overprocessed that we're reacting to it for a different reason. Same with dairy. You know, I just was interviewed for this osteoporosis summit this morning, and we were talking about the study called the China study that showed the U.S. consumes the most cow's milk out of the whole world, yet we have the highest rates of osteoporosis. So this idea that we are supposed to consume more dairy to get more calcium is completely false. And the reason that is, is because dairy is so inflammatory to our body because the cows have been injected with so many antibiotics and pesticide-laden cornmeal and they're kept in this hyper-pregnant state all of the time, pregnancy and lactation. And so imagine how high the cow's estrogen level is, and then we're drinking it, we're giving it to our young girls, you know, we're seeing puberty used to be 10, 11, 12 years old, now it's eight or nine, and it breaks my heart what we're doing just through our food. That's crazy, actually. It's really interesting. So people can get those tests done with a functional medicine doctor, right? Test their stool, test if they have leaky gut, things like that. Yes. And I have made it my mission to have it more accessible to women. You know, it's still a cash-based test. It's not covered by insurance, those tests. But I am licensed in over the half the country now because I really want women to have options beyond what in their hometown. You know, you shouldn't just have to go to the doctor that's on your insurance plan or down the street from you. So now you can see me from home on Zoom, you know, and we can do the work that we need to do. This test kits get sent to your house and, you know, we can do all of this virtually. It's pretty amazing. That is amazing. So I just want to ask you about a couple foods for the gut. Do you like people to increase their fiber to feed like the good bacteria in their gut? Mm. And what do you think about collagen or bone broth? Oh my goodness. Two huge, important things. Fiber is so important because it transports those toxins and those excess hormones in the waste your body's trying to get rid of. And so there's two forms of fiber, soluble and insoluble. One is acting like the broom to sweep and clean out the stool and the other one's bulking things up and acting as a carrier to take it out. So it's really important to get enough fiber in your day-to-day regimen. And fiber keeps your weight in check. It keeps your hormones balanced, keeps your cholesterol in check, and it feeds those good bacteria like you mentioned. So if you really want to have the right bacteria living in there, so you're not producing these bad enzymes and toxins, you want to feed it fiber. And honestly, a lot of women don't take the time to prepare their vegetables. You know, they don't eat it or it's not an option where they're at. 
So sometimes we have to supplement with fiber and different things, but I would say that should really be a focus for everyone. I mean, the risk of colon cancer decreases significantly by increasing your fiber. Most countries around the world eat, you know, 40 to 60 grams of fiber a day. We averaged like, I think it was five to 10 grams last check. I mean, it's appalling. It's so sad. I know we only recommend that you get 25 grams a day and most people don't even get that. Yes, because the government is trying to tell you the amounts to prevent a disease. That's just like saying you need vitamin D to be at 30 to prevent rickets. I don't want to not have rickets. I want to feel amazing and not break a bone when I'm 70. It's the same idea is minimal daily requirements is what's going to keep you alive. It's not what you're going to be thriving with. Oh, that's so interesting. That's good to know, actually. Okay, so then another question. So we talked about the gut and how the gut has a huge role in hormonal health, but so does the liver. So what do you suggest to people if most people have a sluggish liver? Yeah, so a few interventions that you can do on your own. Quit drinking alcohol every day. You know, the past year and a half, I've seen a lot of alcohol being consumed. We used to use it just to socialize and have fun. And now it's more so like I worked hard all day. I deserve this or my day sucked and I need this to come down, turn off my brain and just function and go to sleep. So we need to get rid of that crutch. It's just a bad habit that we've fallen into. It's really hard on our liver. If our liver has to work to metabolize alcohol, it's going to put estrogens and other things to the side for later and probably never get to it. So alcohol is a huge modifiable factor. Getting off medications they all have to go through the liver to be detoxified. Really common ones are Tylenol and Benadryl, Tylenol PM, stuff we use to sleep super hard on our liver. I mean, we went through an era of liver failure about 15 years ago because Tylenol was so overused just because it's over the counter, it's available. And they came out with every version of Tylenol you could need for every ache and pain and people were going into liver failure. So monitor that, get that in check, use quercetin, use skullcap, use bromelain, use other natural things to help with the pain and the inflammation, curcumin, all of that. And then sometimes we have genetic SNPs, you know, we have these little mutations in our DNA that make it a little bit more difficult for our liver to do their detox pathways. I have an MTHFR and a COMPT mutation. So my liver is not good at doing its job. I just know that about myself. So I drink dandelion root tea on the regular basis. I take dim and milk thistle and all of those things on and off on a regular basis because it needs extra support. I need methylated B vitamins. I need extra magnesium. So there's a lot of things that you can do to really support your liver, but it's removing the bad stuff, all the environmental toxins that are come in, quit drinking out of plastic water bottles. Don't heat your food in plastic, you know, get rid of those excess medications and get rid of the alcohol. Thank you so much. So I actually have MTHFR variant as well. And so as you were talking, I was like, yes, my liver is always sluggish. Like every time I go get any lab work done. And so is glutathione a good thing to help support your liver as well? 
Yeah, or NAC, which is the precursor to make glutathione. Any antioxidants that are going to help with DNA damage and repair and heal the body are going to take some of the burden off of your liver. And you are probably like me. I can't handle a lot of alcohol, you know, two or three drinks, and I feel sick because my livers can't even handle it. So, you know, I think if you start to get in tune with your body, you'll realize what it needs and what it can't handle. And it's screaming at us. We just don't listen. Right. Okay. So I have another question about the gut. We didn't touch upon this. Well, you touched upon it at the beginning, stress. All of us are dealing with so much stress, especially more so now, I feel like. What do you suggest to all these women that maybe stress is hurting their gut? Yeah, so this is a huge part of my work. It's really getting women to slow down and set boundaries on their life and on their time and to focus on what they need. It's been ingrained in us that we put ourselves last, you know, that if we do anything for ourselves, we're selfish. And so we don't take care of ourselves and we go from dusk till dawn. We we're not mindful about anything. We just go, go, go until we lay down to go to bed and our mind is racing and we can't sleep and it's 2 a.m. And why can't I go to sleep? Because you didn't process anything that happened to you during the day. You didn't take any time to even think through that mean conversation or, you know, whatever you experienced or even happy stress. Even if you love what you're doing, like you're kicking butt in your career and you're like taking everything to the next level. If you are still going from dusk till dawn and not processing and taking time to breathe and be centered, that chronic cortisol production and adrenaline production are going to wreak havoc on your systems. So Chronic cortisol production creates actually glucose in your liver. It's called gluconeogenesis and puts that into your bloodstream. So you get elevated blood sugar from stress alone. I've seen women develop prediabetes from a stressful life. Their diet is on par, but their life is out of control. And once you develop insulin resistance and prediabetes, it's a slippery slope and it's hard to get back. So you really do need to get that in check. The other major issue is that chronic cortisol production requires progesterone to be made. So progesterone is our first sex hormone to decline in our 30s and 40s. And then we steal it to make cortisol. Then it's really going in the tank. And progesterone is like an anti-anxiety hormone. It keeps you calm and balanced and it helps you sleep and it keeps excess estrogen in check so that you're not ballooning up and being irritable and biting people's heads off. So stress, people want to think that it's just a mental thing. Oh, I can handle the stress, but it's not. It's a physical manifestation that has real implications leading to illness and disease. And I just don't think we acknowledge that fact. That's really interesting. So I have a question though, for you about this stress. There's a lot of listeners that are like, well, I've got four, five, six kids. I work full time. My life is go, go, go till I go to sleep at night. So what do you suggest to people that say, I just live a busy life. There's nothing else I can do right now. I can maybe give myself some time on a Saturday or a Sunday I mean, is it as easy as maybe just taking five minutes to meditate or to breathe? What do you suggest? 
Yeah, I call BS on all of that. Those are our choices. <laughs> hey, I've got six kids and it's busy. Let me tell you. <laughs> it is. I, Me and my husband have six children. I have a grandson. Oh, you get it. <laughs> I practice. I get it. I have an autoimmune condition. I mean, a lot of stuff has gone on in our lives. But if we don't set boundaries and put ourselves first it will destroy us. I have been there. I have been to the point where I had to take six months off of my job and it felt like I was abandoning my patients. It was the hardest decision ever. I thought I was the worst doctor in the world. And how could I possibly take the time to heal myself? But I came to the realization that you cannot fill from an empty cup. We really, we try and we do it for a while, but then we get to the point where we just can't do it anymore. And you have the ability to set yourself as a priority. And I think it comes down to being mindful about it and explaining to the people in your lives that you love, like, hey, I really need this. In order for me to show up as my best self for you and be a good example for my children so they don't end up like us crazies and when they get older, we do need to make these changes and we need to be mindful of how we show up in the world. And it's hard as heck. It's the hardest thing I ever did. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that you completely have that ability. You know, I had to accept the fact that I was going to make less money. Some people have to shift what's going on in their life, but man, does it feel amazing once you do it because you feel better. And when you feel better, it's obvious. I mean, Now, like if I eat gluten or if I try to stay up till two in the morning dancing, I'm paying for it the next day and I feel it. Whereas when you feel miserable, you feel miserable all the time. So you don't even know how miserable you feel until you feel better. Good, That is true. I do know that. Okay. So I have a question about being stressed. You're increasing your cortisol. Therefore, you're using your progesterone to make that cortisol. So our progesterone is decreasing, but it's also decreasing as we're aging anyways, So I get asked quite often from people, well, what do I do to help increase that progesterone? What do you suggest? Get control of your stress. (laughs) That's your number one advice. That's my number one. Do five minutes of meditation or prayer or get up and dance and enjoy some music, whatever it takes for you to get out of that overdrive feeling and back into calmness. You can take Vitex or Chastree that is supposed to support progesterone production from your ovary. You can use progesterone oil, cream, capsules, you can do all of that to replenish that lost progesterone. It's all about trying to continue to ovulate on a regular basis. The other piece of it is to keep your estrogen in check. So if your estrogen is really high, that lower progesterone is going to feel really low. So you want to make sure you have that balance and keeping estrogen in check looks like everything we talked about earlier, making sure your liver's working well, making sure you're pooping regularly, making sure you have the right bacteria in your gut and getting rid of excess weight because our fat cells actually make a form of estrogen called estrone. And so it's like a vicious cycle because your estrogen will make fat cells because it's a growth hormone. It's getting ready to like carry a baby. So it likes to plump you up, 
but then it stores fat and but it also creates and produces fat and releases it so you get stuck in a vicious cycle and you have to figure out how to lose that weight and often that comes back to environmental toxic load and xenoestrogens and getting rid of all of that to be able to release that weight because so many of those xenoestrogens are stored in our fat cells so if you can get the estrogen in check you might not need actual hormone therapy with progesterone, but that's an option and it's completely safe as long as it's the bioidentical progesterone. You don't want a synthetic progestin. You don't want Provera, Depo-Provera shots like the birth control pill, things like that, because that acts in an opposite way on the other receptors in our body. It still protects the uterus, from too much estrogen, but it usually makes you depressed. It usually makes you gain weight and not feel good. So you want to make sure that you're getting a bioidentical progesterone. Okay, good to know. So I have a question though about this extra estrogen. Most people call it estrogen dominant, right? That a Mm -hmm. lot of women just are dealing with this estrogen dominance. And why do you think like our beauty products Is that what you're talking about? The environmental toxins like our beauty products, the things with parabens, phthalates, all of that is playing a role in the estrogen dominance. Yeah, exactly. So 60, 70 years ago, these chemicals didn't exist. They're all man-made. We created them in a lab because we're that smart. And now we have an environment filled with all of these plastics that are flexible. You know, we make everything out of them now gel beads, you know, things that stick and create stuff. So it's in all of our cosmetics. It's in our shampoo and care products. It's in our food packaging. And those all leach into us through our skin, through our abdomen, through our gut. And once they get in, our body is like, what the heck is this? I've never seen this in existence. They don't know what to do with it. So to protect your deeper organs, they'll store it in your fat cells. And once they're in there, it's hard to get out. And that's why a lot of women, I believe, don't feel well when they try to detox because you're pulling this out, you're putting it back in the bloodstream and it feels horrible or they can't lose the weight because those cells are so inflamed. They can't even do their physiologic processes. So it really is so important to clean all that up. And I don't expect women to like go home and throw everything out today. It's a lot of money. It's expensive. But as you run out, switch it out to a cleaner product and try something new. I always encourage women to go to ewdg.org, the environmental working group, and find out what the heck are you putting on your face, you know? And those all act like estrogen fake estrogens in your body. So they'll bind to the receptor that estrogen was going to bind to, and they'll send a warped signal and your body will think, Hey, I'm getting more estrogen. And even the worst part about it is that you don't see that in the blood work. So if I measure your estrogen levels, they might quote unquote, look normal when you have raging estrogen dominance from xenoestrogens from all of these plastics and things in our environment, all these chemicals. Yeah, it's so crazy. That's why I try to teach on my page, like use these shampoos or these lotions, conditioners, whatever. There's so many better choice products out there these days. And women just need to know that they're worth buying and using. 
but I have a question about estrogen dominance because I one time pulled my followers and asked them if they thought they had estrogen dominance or if they had hormonal imbalance. And I was surprised at how many people said no, that they didn't think they had hormonal imbalances. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if that's quite right. So what are some signs and symptoms that someone might be experiencing if they have estrogen dominance? Yeah. So I believe they don't realize that some of their symptoms are from estrogen dominance because conventional medicine has put us into silos. If it's anxiety or depression, it must be a psych disorder. If it's, you know, digestive issues, constipation, things like that, it's a GI issue. And so you get all of these estrogen dominant symptoms of you're irritable, you want to bite your partner's head off, you no longer can tolerate the things you used to tolerate, you start having anxiety for the first time in your life when you're 40, 45 years old, you can't sleep, you're gaining weight around your midsection your skin is getting dull and lackluster, you're getting wrinkles, like all of these things, women don't necessarily contribute to estrogen issues. And it really is. And so that's, I'm not surprised about your poll. Honestly, we just need to do more educating because it's just the information isn't out there. So, you know, heavier periods, more painful periods, Oh my goodness, breast tenderness. Some women are like, don't even look at my breasts because they hurt so much. Bad PMS symptoms, migraines, headaches at the time of your period. Because imagine you're supposed to have a nice rise of estrogen and then it slowly declines enough to cause the withdrawal bleed. So as it goes down, imagine it dropping from a 10-story building as opposed to a two-story building. That change feels a lot worse if it's way up there and you just have this huge drop. And that's what causes headaches and all of these PMS symptoms to be so severe is the extreme level that it's dropping from. And so if you can get that estrogen in check, you're going to feel so much better. And it's really sad because women are being put on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, weight loss medications, ambient for sleep. I mean, it goes on and on, you name it, when they don't need all of that. They just need to understand the root cause of it all. Yeah. And it's incredible to me that hormones play such a huge role in so many different illnesses, like you just mentioned. Yeah, they they run the show. They're the messenger systems throughout our entire body. As soon as estrogen starts to decline in menopause, our risk of heart disease goes up, our risk of dementia goes up, our risk of bone loss and osteoporosis goes up. Like everything shifts because we have those hormone receptors throughout our body and it's all getting impacted. I need you on another show because I could then talk to you all about menopause because that's a whole nother thing that so many women are really struggling with. Yes, without a doubt. And it comes back to probably too much estrogen and not enough progesterone again. Yep. Which then leads to liver and gut health. Yes. And testosterone is also a big factor. We don't give that enough credence. Um, 
testosterone is like our most abundant sex hormone. We just don't pay attention to it until it's gone. And so testosterone is as important, especially when you're talking about weight and things, because it keeps our muscle mass there. It keeps us nice and toned and fit, and it keeps our weight in check. And when testosterone starts to decline, all of a sudden we feel a little flabbier. We don't feel as fit and tone. All of a sudden our brain isn't as clear. We can't focus. We have no motivation to even prepare food or make the right choices. That's all from testosterone decline. And so that's a whole nother topic and it's all root cause, same issues. Same with the gut and the health. I mean, in the liver, things like that. Yeah, that's yeah, because the majority of our testosterone and DHEA are produced in our adrenal glands where cortisol and adrenaline are made, our stress hormones. So if your brain is making your adrenal glands pump out stress hormones all day long, you're also pumping out DHEA and testosterone a lot of the time. And then you get to the point where your body says enough is enough and your brain downregulates that access and they stop communicating. And so then you're not making the cortisol. Then you're not wanting to get out of bed. You're like flatlined, but you're also not making DHEA and testosterone anymore the way you should. And so I get a lot of patients come to me, you know, 45, 48 years old, and they're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And they're totally apathetic. I don't feel any feelings for my husband. I don't want to take care of my kids. I don't want to exercise. I'm just done. And it's because they have shut down these adrenal glands hormones when really we just need to support that and bring those levels back up. Well, so I know my listeners now are like, well, how do I increase my testosterone then? <laughs> so that. <laughs> Working on the adrenal glands. Is that what you suggest? Yes, get control of your stress. Oh my <laughs> goodness. But a lot of women will do testosterone replacement because they have gotten to that point where, you know, it's just run dry. They're not making it anymore. I, I'm seeing it in 30 some year olds where their testosterone is low. The other big culprit is birth control pills. Remember I said synthetic hormones stop that communication from your brain to your ovaries. Your ovaries quit making testosterone while you're on a birth control pill. That's one of the biggest reasons that you lose your libido. You know, you go off the pill, your libido comes back. There was even a study that showed that the birth control pill changes your chemical makeup so much that you actually choose different men than you would have if you oh my had goodness. not been on the pill. And a lot of women marry the wrong guy because they're on this. That was an amazing study. I was like, wow. So it really does change things. And a lot of women, you know, are in the pill for 10, 20 years and they come off of it. And sometimes the testosterone comes back and they're like, wow, I, I didn't even know I was interested in sex or it doesn't come back and you need replacement. I could do a whole show with you on the birth control pill because I know it depletes so many nutrients. It yeah. does all of this that you're talking about. So I may just have to have you come back to talk about that and menopause. <laughs> I was going to wrap up this podcast, but I had one last question for you that I forgot to ask you because in the diet culture world, it's really popular still to watch your fat and not eat enough fat, but yet healthy fats are what our hormones need to be created. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest to people who are so concerned still about fats? You really need to wrap your brain around the idea that fats are 
not making you fat. Sugar is making you fat. You know, that's one of my favorite books from Dr. Mark Hyman, eat fat, get thin, because we need healthy fats for our cell membranes to perform their functions, to move toxins in and out, to create energy and transport it, to hear the hormone signals of our thyroid, our sex hormones, our adrenal glands, healthy fats are key. I I run a seven week program where I teach women how to love healthy fats and eat it to the point where that they are just eating a ketogenic diet to be able to remind their body how to burn fat for fuel. Because if you rely on glucose intake to have fuel, you will never burn from your fat stores. And so we have gotten to the point where we eat every two hours all throughout the day. Sometimes every hour, people love to snack and that's not how God created our body. And so then we have to pump out insulin to go take that glucose and store it somewhere because we're not running marathons. We're probably sitting at our desk and doing, you know, non-physical work. So every time we eat, we have the glucose, we bring out the insulin. Your cells get tired of hearing insulin knocking on the door saying, Oh, take the sugar, store it as fat. They get really sick of it and they will stop hearing the signal. And that's where insulin resistance comes in. And so your pancreas has to make more insulin to knock louder, to say, let me in, take the sugar up and your cells just stop working. And so then you have elevated blood sugar all the time. And that is toxic to our cells. So if you can remind your body how to get into fat burning mode and use ketones for fuel instead of sugar and, you know, burn your own fat for fuel and really learn to get back to intermittent fasting the way our bodies were created, you can reverse all of that. And it's just amazing what you can do, but you have to break the cycle first. It's not, if you're used to eating all day long, you probably can't fast for 18 hours. It's going to feel horrible. You're going to be shaky and hangry. Right. It's a process. It is know? a process and start slow. They can build up to that, but to just start with 12 or 13 hours and try to build from there. Right. And make sure you're getting enough fats and electrolytes. That is the key to feeling good when you go through that transition. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just have a lot of followers that, you know, still don't love fats. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I know my listeners have learned a ton. Tell my followers where they can find you. Yeah, they should definitely check me out on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Tabitha. It's T-A-B-A-T-H-A, all A's, no I's. And my website is drtabitha.com. They can email me, reach out to me. You can listen to my podcast, The Functional Gynecologist, because I got to have you on. We need to talk about this more. That would be really fun. You guys, her podcast is so good. I have loved listening to it. It's on like, I just keep going through episode after episode in my car. It just keeps playing. So I love your podcast. Thank you. So I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. What would you say it is? Without a doubt, being authentic to who God made you to be like you're here for a reason. It's hard work. But if you can figure that out and focus on that and just be your real authentic self, you know, flaws and all love your body the way it is with the cellulite with 
the, you know, the muffin top, whatever it is right now that you don't like about yourself, if you can find a way to have compassion the way you would for your girlfriend or somebody else and just love your body the way it is right now, you're going to make so much more progress and you're going to get out of that negative space and you're going to be able to start doing all of these changes that we've talked about because you cannot heal a body you hate. So love on yourself like you would any other person in your life that you love. Oh my goodness. I love that so much because it is so true. You do not want to heal a body you hate. I know that from just personal experience from years ago. And once you respect your body and are grateful for your body, then you'll love it and want to do the best that you can for it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Tabitha, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.